Hello and welcome to Become an Educator, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie, and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school, with guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. This week, I'm in conversation with Dan Hudson. Dan started teaching in 2009 and spent a decade at St. Peter's Catholic High School in Gloucester, starting as a computer science teacher before teaching science. Dan was a head of year for four years before moving into senior leadership as an associate assistant principal, including teaching and learning. Dan then moved to Oasis Academy John Williams in Bristol in 2019 as assistant vice principal, including teaching and learning. Dan is interested in how we use the science of learning principles and deliberate practice to drive teacher development, which we unpick in today's episode. I asked Dan how he's using his teaching and learning framework and adapting this for online learning. I also asked him to share how he's tackling Year 11 science with Teach Like a Champion principles. And that brings us on to speaking about Dan's CPD culture in his school, as Dan wrote that the key focus of his CPD culture at Oasis John Williams has been the creation of teacher deliberate practice culture. I was really fascinated by this and, and wanted Dan to share, share with us how he's embedding a shared language for teaching and learning that informs the teaching and learning framework through Mary Kennedy's Persistent Problems, Rosenshine's Principles of Instruction, and Teach Like a Champion. And I also asked Dan to dive deep into what is involved in his teacher development curriculum, including an explanation of what happens during his school's Friday AM practice sessions. And Dan goes into great detail in sharing how these practice sessions looks. I got a lot out of this, I took a lot of notes, and I'm sure you will too. So let's dive right into my interview with Dan Hudson. Uh, Dan Hudson, thank you so much for joining me on the Becoming Educated podcast today. How are you? Evening, Darren. Yeah, pleasure. Um, uh, thank you very, very much for sort of having us on. No, it's a privilege. Um, as I said in my introduction, I, I um, enjoyed trolling through your blog and then you shared some some great work um, around your teaching and learning framework on Twitter. So we're going to unpick that today and we're going to start with, with online learning. But before we do that, can you please share with listeners a little bit about you and your career today? Yeah, perfect. Um, I think I'll start back actually sort of within within my teens because there's something. So when I was about 17, 18, I kind of needed a job in the uh, summer and I was playing a lot of uh, cricket at the time, badly, I would say. But um, I began coaching and I did my ECB level, level one course and I began coaching in secondary schools, primary schools, clubs, began coaching some like regional district. And the reason why I kind of uh, mentioned that is because I actually think for some of the things I've gone on to do later on within teaching, some of the things I learned at that time have been really, really important. And I think what that told me from a really, really early age was I really enjoyed working within schools and I ended up training as a teacher in 2009. Um, I then started my first role as a teacher at uh, St. Peter's Catholic High School in Gloucester in 2010. 
and I moved into a, a pastoral leadership role after about five, five years there. Um, became an associate assistant head for teaching and learning. And then in 2019, I moved to Oasis John uh, Williams within Bristol to become an assistant uh, principal in charge again of uh, teaching and learning. Brilliant. And we're going to unpick some of your, your journey with, with being the assistant principal at Oasis yeah. John Williams. Um, so when I first got in touch with you, it was around you sharing um, your model for, for supporting staff with online learning. And you've been using uh, Teach Like a Champion strategies as, as part of your teaching and learning framework. Can you, can you share with, with us, how are you adapting this framework, which we'll come back to and unpack later on, for online mm. learning? Yeah, I think we have, I think our kind of message towards staff over the last few weeks and months is we've been on a real journey over the last year, uh, shifting towards a framework that's based towards Rosenshine uh, and uh, TLAC. And we really wanted staff to focus on everything we've been doing within the last year anyway, has its place on online learning. And for us, it was very much about adapting. So rather than sort of thinking, right, we're moving towards our live, live lessons on Teams and we need to be starting again and we need to be learning a whole, a whole range of new, new skills, all of our thinking, our work with staff has been, how can we adapt things we've been doing really well over the last, last year and make them work in our team's team setting. So one of our real kind of focuses over the last year has been our cold core cold questioning within, within lessons. So when we began moving towards teams, it was very much a case of how can we begin to bring that through? How can we uh, begin to work on students coming on mic to answer a, a cold core cold question? How can we use the chat function to use the same uh, strategy again? And I think that adaptation of things we're doing really well is was really really kind of key because you know we all know what a massive shift towards teaching on uh, on the online learning has been certainly has and that brings me to, to a wonderful blog you wrote on on how you are personally um, tackling a year 11 class using some of those, those strategies you mentioned there at cold call you mentioned um using the chat function as well. Could you, could you talk us through your own experience with, with online learning and the de decisions you made to, to, in including these strategies? Yeah, so I, th I think um, the first thing I'd say is I don't think I've, I've personally had a time where I've been as excited about my own teaching again as what the last three weeks have been. I think it's because having that chance to almost, in some ways, um, there are some new kind of skills in terms of the tech, but then being able to think on a, on a much deeper level than maybe I have for a long time about my own teaching and what works really well and what needs to work better. Because I think online learning um, really kind of exposes that student output in a way sometimes our teaching in, in, in like the classroom doesn't. Uh, when we're not managing the kind of uh, behaviour and we're not running the room in the same way, our focus is, a, is a solely on that student piece of work that they uh, produce by the end of the lesson. And I certainly felt, I mean, I don't know what kind of anyone else felt who's been teaching live, but we began teaching live on the first Wednesday back after Christmas. And honestly, in the back of my mind was, what kind of happens if no, if no kids log on? You know, that was the first sort of fear. And the second fear was, what then happens if I have kids in the lesson, but none of them are prepared to take, take part in it? So in that first week, um, certainly as a school, but also for me too, 
the real focus was on how can we get the ratio of kids take, uh, taking part as high as what we've been working towards within the classroom over the last, the last year. So um, we've been working so hard in uh, the classroom lessons over last year on our no opt-out culture. The expectation, every student who's answered a question will try their best to give an answer. And if they can't for any reason, that's fine. And we're going to come, come back to you again. So in that first week, I guess my own teaching was much focused on trying to get all those quick, quick fire answers back, um, using the chat for the, the cold call, um, adapting the show, the show me routine we use for our mini uh, whiteboards and trying to get all of the students to answer a question. And then as the days went on, I guess I began to feel I was almost running a quiz rather than running a lesson. And that idea that we were getting loads of really quick instant feedback and our students were engaging really well and, and like taking part. And then after a week, I began to think, how come in some ways now it's felt like a little bit shallow? And I wanted to think, how could I deepen the learning? So I think that, you know, we've got so much new tech available to us in a way that we've never had. And yet all of the answers still in getting that really good piece of uh, student work lie in the uh, science and learning principles and everything that we know to be true anyway. So I began sort of just uh, reflecting on my lessons and thinking to myself, if I want all of my students to have, to have achieved this um, six mark answer by the end of the lesson, what do I need to do? How do I need to plan to make that kind of happen? And I guess really thinking about that I, we, you model. And that's something that at John uh, Williams, we really focus on and we really think carefully about how we scaffold using that. And then the TLAC steps, I guess, just building those into each of the lesson phases and trying to come up with like a sequence in, in, in my mind. How can I sequence these different TLAC steps uh, together um, to uh, scaffold it in like, the most effective way? Um, I think the one actually is really like start for me and one I focused on more than I ever have uh, before is the TLAC step uh, begin with with the end. And for me, I think definitely on my online lessons and what I hope I sort of got across in that blog was by starting at that end point, what do I want students to, to have achieved, being crystal clear and then scripting all of the, all the lesson phases that then lead, lead up to that um, has been a massive, massive difference. Um, so I'd say, yeah, the main kind of focus on that blog really was just my own personal thoughts after the first week and thinking if we're going to be doing this for weeks and weeks and weeks, how can I get the best possible student work? Definitely. And, and that certainly came across this idea of beginning with the end and, and the thought process you have. I liked how you kind of compared that to beginning with, you just felt like a quiz master and then bringing it back to, to thinking about the learning. I like what you said there about how the answers lie in, the, in what we already know about the science, science of learning. And, and, and through the work of Rosenshine and Doug Lamov, we can... It, what I say to, to staff is um, we need to make our online classroom feel the same as our physical classroom. So the same strategies, the same pedagogical strategies um, are used. We just need to use them in a different medium through using the chat and, and asking the, the, the students to, to unmute and, ex, for, and so on. Yeah, and, I, yeah and, and that's really, really key. And I think that that's why, as a school, we have stuck so uh, closely to the existing lesson format we have. In the last year, we focused heavily as a school on the first 10 uh, minutes of every lesson. 
Um, and so we've taken like TX steps like uh, threshold, for instance, we make a, um, every, every single lesson when we're within school, we have a teacher who's on the door, we are welcoming students in, we're greeting every student, making sure that we apply that same kind of uh, principle. So when we have students within the lobby of our team's lesson, admitting them one at a time, that personal greeting, um, just things like that to make sure that even though the students are learning from, from home and in like some ways things are very, very different, we're just building the same um, uh, routines for learning in so kind of all of the lessons. Certainly, and that, that certainly it certainly comes across. And, and thank you for sharing your thinking around how your thinking has evolved with your your online online learning. So let's think about how you're supporting staff just now, because I was fascinated by the resources that you've you've shared in terms of supporting staff with their own their own blah, blah, <laughs> with supporting staff with how they're conducting their online learning. So how are you doing that uh, across your school through using? Uh, TLAC strategies, Rosenshine, and, and deliberate practice for the online classroom? Yeah, so I think this is a real work in uh, progress for us. And I think as we go on throughout some of the uh, later questions, we'll talk a lot more about the CPD culture and the practice mm-hmm. we've been building over the last the last year. And as the weeks go on now, we're really going to build these back into uh, remote uh, CPD. But I think the first thing that we, we try to do since... Christmas break is actually give staff a little bit of time, time and space. I think sometimes that's, that's actually underrated to give people some time to sort of uh, reflect on their own teaching as well. And sometimes when schools are so busy, um, we don't always get that chance. So we have sort of paused some of our existing systems, but we have been able to have two inset days. So we had an inset day the first day back after Christmas and on the Friday that has just just gone. On the inset day after after Christmas, we shared with staff the framework for teaching and learning that we'd adapted for our, our online lessons. And the message there was very much about we sticked the existing lesson format that, that, that we know works really well. And these are some initial thoughts on how the different, um, the TLAC steps in each lesson phase can be adapted for online learning. And then in that first week, we very much wanted our HODs to have the time and space to lead some of this through with their team and adapt some of the uh, resources. Then as time has gone on, what we try to do in this term is be very much informed by our staff. So using a lot of staff voice and feedback to find out from them what are the highest leverage aspects of lessons that they want some help with. Because actually at this moment in time, none of us are experts in the way that potentially we are when it is a normal classroom lesson. So I think that's been really, really helpful getting that voice from staff but also getting voice from students and parents because we're in a position that we've never ever been and then so off the kind of back of that we had an inset day last last friday where we really focused on some of the TLAC steps like uh, begin with the end and like naming the steps which is a TLAC step that is in the uh, modeling phase of a lesson and enables us to think through very, very carefully about how we break down a complex task or a a complex model. Because I think something that we took away from the staff, student and parent feedback was that the modeling phase of an online lesson is absolutely crucial um, because we can't have those sort of cues of uh, body language 
um, because not necessarily all students are answering questions in the way that we, that we would want, if we're being really honest at times in our online lessons. Being able to think through really, really carefully the modeling stage and knowing what makes up an excellent model was really, really important. Um, so those two TLAC steps uh, uh, were crucial. And then also sort of thinking about some of the tech that we found in the first couple of weeks and wanting to share that. So within the blog, I shared um, the Whiteboard app, uh, which is something that if anyone hasn't used, I think it's whiteboard.fi. And it basically means that every single student can log on and have their own personal mini, mini uh, whiteboard. They only see theirs, but you see every, every student's, which is just um, an incredibly useful way to see what, what, what every student's thinking. So we try to share some of those things, things too. And now we're moving towards the next phase, really. So we're picking back up our coaching of our early um, uh, career teachers, which is really, really important. And I think the next phase that we're going to be moving towards is we've never had the opportunity before, to the extent we do now, to watch our own teaching back. And I think that the recorded videos that we've got of, of our lessons is just an untapped resource that we certainly are doing some real deep thinking about at the moment, how as we move into term four, we can use those to really get staff to drive some of their own uh, CPD in a way that just isn't always possible to do. Definitely. And, and you, you can never actually watch yourself teaching. That was such a fascinating insight there. You can actually go back and watch your live lesson and unpick the areas that you need to improve. And then you can going through and do that and we're going to uh, come on to, to this idea of practice that that you mentioned so we've mentioned we've kind of covered the current phase the online learning and we've, we've yeah. briefly alluded to teaching and learning frameworks that, that you've built with within the last year or so uh, so but you mentioned your cpd culture and, and i really want to unpick the cpd culture because because it's it really fascinated me so thinking about your prior to lockdown and, and obviously adapting it for now, because in 2020, you wrote that the, the key teacher CPD focus at Oasis John Williams has been the creation of teacher deliberate practice culture. Can you share how you, how you came to this idea and how you are closing the, the knowing doing gap? Yeah, perfect. Um, I think the first thing is if we talk about that term knowing, knowing doing gap, which is a term I really, really like. And I think that's a really, really important thing to be uh, thinking about because often as uh, leaders within school, we can run a uh, session with our staff and we can believe that we have explained this kind of concept or this, or this skill uh, really, really clearly and everyone's nodding and everyone understands. And we go away from that and we walk around the school a couple of weeks later and we feel a bit down because no one's actually doing the thing that we've uh, talked about. And that idea that often as like human beings, we know what it is we, we have to do. We're not in the habit of doing it. And I think the absolute key driver, the thing that we've really focused on in the last year is what we need to do is build the most effective habits, most effective teaching habits for all of our uh, members of staff, because ultimately teaching is um, a performance-based job. You know, if we think of sport or we think of um, uh, music, what, what is like going on there? It's people who are performing isolated skills that they have mastered in really complex ways to create a really uh, successful output. And teaching is the same. And the most effective teachers we see 
are those that without thinking can apply the right skill at the right time for that class based on all of the cues that they are uh, picking up. And the most effective teachers are the ones who are in the habit of the most effective practice. And I think everything that we are trying to do currently is about giving our staff the opportunity to build those really, really effective habits. And when those habits are strong, the knowing doing gap um, uh, decreases um, and we start to see the teaching that we really want to see across the school. And the reason why I kind of mentioned my previous background within cricket coaching is because as I've got older and I've started to have the opportunity to do some of this within school, it kind of made me realise how much I learned in that time and how when I trained, trained to teach and when I started uh, being, being a teacher, CPD wasn't ever talked about in the same way we talk about practising for sport or we talk about practising for uh, music. And yet, I think the answers for building those really strong habits have been done in those fields for decades. So I think that's really, really important. Um, and then there's been some other things that have led towards it, really. So I read a book about 18 months ago by Paul, by Paul Bambrick called uh, Leverage Leadership, where he talks a lot about the see it, name it, do it model. And I know we're going to talk about that in more depth later, but that was a real moment for me when a light bulb went off as something that again I had done within cricket but I'd never done within teaching and it made me kind of realize the links are there and secondly I was really lucky last year through Ambition um, Institute to do, to do their teacher educator program which I think was their first year through and that was very much about how do we use the science and learning principles to train our teachers and how do we use practice to enable our teachers to build the most effective habits. Um, so those have all been sort of factors that have really led into us making that plunge over the last year to build what is now a really strong practice culture amongst our teachers. Right, and we're going to go into a little bit of detail about yeah. that, that practice culture, but I'm interested in how are you embedding a, a shared language? We've, we've used a lot of terminology yeah. throughout our interviews. How are you embedding a shared language for teaching and learning? And, and, and how did that come to form your teaching and learning framework? Yeah, so uh, the framework, and again, um, if you go to sort of read that through on, on the blog, you'll see there's three different parts to it. So we have our term uh, persistent problems, and this comes from a research paper in 2016 by Mary uh, Kennedy. And her research paper was about there are, there are four persistent problems that all teachers are facing no matter what the stage of their uh, career. And that is um, the, the, the portrayal of curriculum content, uh, managing the behavior of students, enlisting the participation of students and exposing the thinking of, of students. And we really sort of have that as the basis for all of our teaching and learning for two, for two reasons, really. One, it makes us see that sort of we never ever master it we need to keep getting better to sort of steal um ambitions phrase there but that's something that we do use with with our staff too we need to keep getting better because the persistent problems are always going to be be there and that's really important mm -hmm. but secondly um I, I think i think it sort of takes the pressure off us a little bit in there some ways because we need to understand that no matter how old we get no matter how many years of teaching we do we are constantly needing to add to our skills, 
so that we can solve the different uh, um, uh, persistent problems. And when something doesn't quite go the way that we want in our lessons, for instance, when after that first week of my online teaching, I really felt I wasn't exposing the thinking, rather than sort of beating up the way I was doing it and being really down, I knew that that was the persistent problem I needed to solve. And then our next step is uh, Rosenshine because Rosenshine is our next layer of how we can begin to solve some of uh, the persistent problems. And the reason for that is because I just think Rosenshine is a really access accessible um, embodiment really of the science and learning principles. No matter what you teach, it kind of applies to to like all and it gives us that really excellent best best practice models for the I do, the we do, the you do phases. And then the final thing we do is we map the highest leverage TLAC steps for each stage against all of those different uh, Rosenstein phases. For instance, in the we do phase of a lesson, when we're really checking for um, uh, the understanding, we would we map cold core and uh, no no opt-out and pepper and that's what gives our staff really those concrete steps to be applying at our, our lesson phase so the reason for kind of using the uh, language is we're trying to make teaching as concrete as possible because teaching can be quite an abstract uh, concept and like I say my own feelings are for many many years when I was trained to teach and learning to be a teacher the feedback I was given was was often quite vague by having this really clear shared language across the school, it means we can give everybody the most um, a precise set of, of feedback. And within my blogs, I've kind of mentioned a visit I had to Magna in March 2019, I think. Um, I was very lucky to go down to there for a day. And uh, Richard Tutt, um, Mark Adams and uh, Jonathan Heap have been three people from the school that I've sort of kept in in touch with since and something that I really took away from that day was how the language that they were using was based on Rosenshine and TLAC and sometimes I think in teaching we want to re reinvent the wheel all the time but actually sometimes that sometimes we can just make that harder for like our staff when we are using the same sorry using different language for the same methods across different schools so I think sticking to the language of TLAC, sticking to Rosenstein's principles, just helps us to de to declutter that for, for uh, staff a lot. And I think ultimately, the reason that we have that shared uh, language is to make teaching as simple as we can for staff. And then when it comes to feedback, it can be as uh, precise and meaningful as possible. Absolutely, I, I I I was nodding vigorously all the way all the way through that. So I like what you said about making teaching as concrete as possible, and then you echoed that there by making it as simple as possible. Is that why you've chosen um, teach like a champion and the strategies within that to be the bedrock of of your deliberate practice culture? Yeah, I think uh, the reason why is the absolute sort of um, uh, foundation is one. I think in life, someone's got to put your ego to the side and just sort of recognise when someone has done an excellent piece of work and you don't need to spend any more time looking further. And I think that's really, really important that it's kind of obvious that this is just the habits of effective teaching. And it's one of those books, isn't it? That when you give it to uh, someone for the first time who's been teaching for many years, they can sort of flick, flick through it and be like, I do that, I do that, I do that. 
And that's kind of like, because when you have been teaching for many, many years, you learn these habits sometimes without actually knowing that, which why I think, um, you know, within our school, we have lots of young, young staff, lots of staff who are like relatively new in their sort of journey of teaching. So using TDAC again for me is taking some of the best work that's been done and that can be used by our new staff to accelerate their kind of uh, progress already. And I used this word previously, but TLAC for me is a set of really, um, what's the word, concrete models that just, as soon as you read through the book, as soon as you see like a model of that being done, you can see what it is. And I think that's really, really important um, when we are trying to give that really uh, precise feedback to people. So yeah, TLAC is what we base all of our uh, uh, practice on. Um, and I think that as we go through the next phase of our uh, teaching and learning, we will um, uh, continue to have that at the front. Right, I like that focus on, on on making teaching simple, but that shared language so you can give that precise feedback, whether you're talking to an experienced teacher or an early career teacher or an assistant principal, when you when you use the same language of, of pepper and begin with the end and name the steps, people just know what you're talking about. And, and we all have that mental model in our picture. So it, it makes that the practice easier it makes the action step easier for improving your practice um, definitely uh, sorry sorry Dan, i was gonna say one more thing i think as well the other thing that we're um sort of phasing in and we're building is our uh, coaching program across the school and that would involve people from one subject area coaching someone from a different uh, subject area but when we're using tlac as the as our sort of method for practice our method for setting the action steps even though someone in English is coaching someone in a PE, that shared language means that we can coach across the school and get the kind of a benefit from that. Boy, that's, a, that's a wonderful, wonderful anecdote. Of, and, and yes, that means that you can really um, use the experience of your staff to help coach colleagues and, and regardless of what context, because you have that shared language and, and understanding and mental model of, of the steps. Of each, of each of the strategies so that you can really support staff regardless of whether they're teaching drama or English or history. So thank you. Um, I also like the idea of, of your teacher development curriculum. So, so what does your teacher development curriculum involve and how are you helping staff to keep getting better? Yeah, so I think one thing that is really, really crucial for us is we want to be uh, precise about how we're trying to get teachers better and how we're trying to sort of work on uh, the development of teaching. And the way that we do that is we try and plan a, a curriculum for that in the same way we plan when we're trying to sort of plan for what students are going to learn across a year. We're trying to take those same uh, principles really and map across a year what do we want to be working on at certain points and why. Um, so Obviously, so lots of this has been sort of paused or held now um, until we're kind of back in school. But when we came back after summer, we put in a Friday morning 8-10 practice slot on every week. And the focus for that was because we, we had some things we really wanted to work on anyway. We really wanted to focus on increasing ratio in our, our lessons. We wanted to develop questioning that was going to engage and expose the thinking of the widest possible array of uh, students but we also wanted we knew that the challenges of like socially distanced teaching as we came back after the summer 
that we were going to have issues in terms of being able to run the room effectively from the front at all times. We we're going to have to manage the behavior at times in a slightly different way to what we'd maybe done in other years. So we really want to have that weekly practice. And then what we wanted to do is begin to think, what do we want to practice at different times within the term that's going to have the biggest possible impact? So, uh, for instance, when we came back, the first three weeks were all about how can we create routines for learning? How can we set up lessons so that the students who, for us in years seven to nine, hadn't been in school since March, were going to be able to come back into lessons and engage really, really uh, quickly? So that was the kind of initial focus. And then as the weeks weeks went on, looking at those different uh, questioning methods again, I was looked at how can we use cold court and uh, no no opt-out and pepper how can we get every single student taking part how can we use whiteboards really effectively from the front of the room so even though we can't necessarily circulate and like look at books we can expose that like student student thinking so um i think what we're trying to do do with it is understand different times within the year what is our what is our main focus for uh, teaching and learning and how can we be really uh, precise about how we plan and the other thing that goes like with that is we take very much a cycle approach to our uh, teaching and learning. So within like the year to date, when we've been within school, we've been working in three to four week uh, cycles. So the first three, the, the first two to three weeks involve every single member of staff having a 10 to 15 minute drop in. And that drop-in would lead to the member staff having a really uh, precise piece of praise, um, something, again, that is like tangible and meaningful and that they would be able to uh, replicate again the following lesson a week, but also to get a, a action step. And the purpose of the action step, again, is something small, manageable. They would be able to practice and action it within a week. So over two, two to three weeks, every member staff getting an action step those action steps across the school being kind of analysed for trends. It might be, for instance, within subject X, there are numerous teachers with a similar action step for the same uh, persistent problem, in which case the HOD might use some of their uh, time with their team to practice and develop that, that aspect of teaching. But then we also looked at some of the, the whole school trends that were uh, popping up, and we could feed those in then to our 810 Friday sessions. So we were able through that, through that cycle to uh, respond really, really quickly to what we were seeing. Staff were able to get really regular feedback and precise feedback about what was going well. But also everybody had a small action step building this idea that we're all going to keep getting better slowly over time, building really, really effective habits. So the curriculum that we're building and like I say, like I said earlier within the podcast, sort of, we're doing things a little bit differently now, and we're thinking about how that might look moving moving forwards. But the curriculum that we're building for teachers is based around regular sessions of uh, practice, mapping out things throughout the year, so that if there's something we feel needs to be practiced at like a certain time, depending on other things going on within the school, the school calendar that that, that we're doing that. And then this regular cycle of action steps leading to trends, feeding back into the practice. Brilliant! I, I love the, the 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 level of thought and, and detail that that is went into that, and and how how much you must think about the 
the practice and the steps that, that each staff need to need to take and, and how every st- how staff gets that precise bit of praise and, and, and feedback and, and an action step to work on. I, I'm really fascinated by by the amount of times you spoke about practice there and your your Friday morning your Friday mornings at eight ten practice sessions. Could you go a little bit deeper and de- describe to us a, a practice session with staff and, and what it looks like? Yeah, so this is the kind of model that we use on our Friday 8, 8.10 slots. But whenever we do any any of the um, whole staff insets, we will also use the same model that I'm about to talk about now. So the inset days I talked about previously that we had on, on Friday and just after Christmas, we use the see it, name it, do it model. And that is from the uh, leverage leadership book that I talked about, about earlier. And um, I'll sort of mention that again because I would strongly uh, recommend that as a really, really excellent book. So see it, name it, do it is almost as it says. So we start we start our kind of sessions by our teachers watching a model of what it is we, we want to work on. And that model, ideally, we would, we would do it live, but we also do uh, video, uh, um, uh, video models. So, uh, for instance, if we were doing a cold, cold core session, we would watch a live video model of that being done. Um, so the staff have that sort of a, of a crystal clear image in their mind of what we're actually aiming for. And that's really, really important. What we then move on to do is the uh, name it section. And this is when we break down that model into really um, uh, precise action steps. So for the cold, the cold core, we would state uh, the sequence we use where we ask the question, we pause, and then we state the name to uh, maximize our ratio. That'd be one of, our, one of the action steps. And then what we do is we go into the do it phase. And this is where we have a period of time with, within the session where every member of staff will script what they're going to do. And staff will bring their pen and, and their paper and they'll have roughly five, five minutes to script depending on what the uh, practice is, what they're going to say, or how they're going to stand, if it's more of a, 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 a body language action step. And then we go we go into pairs. And what we do is, I'll, I'll talk about some of the things we've learned through our kind of our practice and how we've got that better over the last, the last year. But what we do now is we make sure we practice as much as we can across the different teams. So rather than having all of a subject uh, together in the same room and we would sort of mix like everyone up but everyone's in the same pair every week and again we try and think really really carefully about that so it, it kind of uh, might be that we know there's like a member of staff whose uh, persistent problem might be linked to kind of uh, questioning we might pair them up with someone who we know is an excellent kind of uh, questioner um, it might be that we want to place one of our newest members of staff with one of our strongest HODs, so they're kind of learning off of them, but we sort of think about the pairings, and then the pairs will then uh, practice. So person A would always go up first, and our golden rule is whoever's going to practice stands up. They will then get feedback from person B, who's just been uh, watching them. And again, we try and keep it in the same sort of format where that feedback is a really small but uh, precise piece of praise. And then an action step, so one little tweak that they are going to make in their next uh, practice. And then based on the feedback they just got, they will then re-practice uh, again. And what we've learned over time 
some of the things, so I would say that uh, uh, before we sort of broke up for uh, Christmas time, so the last three or four weeks of our Friday practice, like I'm a bit biased here, but I will say honestly, like it was, it was absolutely excellent. And I think we sort of built, we built up to that throughout, throughout the year. And we had sort of peaks and troughs where we thought our practice was going really well. And then we might have a week where we were watching all of our practice and we didn't feel it quite had the focus it wanted. But in those last three to four weeks, there were some things that we learned that, that we feel made it really, really effective. So as I said previously, whoever's going to practice stands up. And that's really important because I think you need to get into the role of the person who's going to be doing uh, the practice. And I think that act of actually standing up shifts you out of that person who sat in a chair listening and watching to the see it and name it sort of steps that person who's now back in their their sort of their classroom with their class and is going to uh, practice the skill secondly at the start when we're doing lots of our practice we use time so we would say to staff right you are going to practice now for five minutes and then and then we're going to swap what we learn over time repetitions rather than time works really well so like say so saying to staff you are going to practice five times and then you are going to get feedback i think that created like a lot of focus because there's a more definite end end point and things didn't didn't drift anymore um and i think really pressing to staff the key learning in the see it name it do it cycle is in the re-practice stage that is the most powerful part of the whole session. It's also probably the session that's the most uncomfortable for staff when they kind of begin because one, you've got to take on board something that you've just heard um, in front of your peer. But secondly, um, I think it'd be really easy at times to have stood up and practiced and think, right, that's, that's my bit done. And now I just want you, uh, the other the other person to go so really building that culture in our staff of the last bit is the most powerful bit and everything we're doing is building like um towards that is really really important um yeah and i just can't emphasize enough really that when if you're thinking about doing doing this within within your school i think it's really important you're never going to get yourself in a position where all staff are comfortable doing it before you start doing it with, with kind of all of your staff. So we did our first all staff um, deliberate practice on seat name it, do it a year ago, but we'd started teeing that up from pretty much three, three months previous. And we were using our uh, briefings on the Monday morning to drip feed really key uh, messages about the importance of coaching and practice through. So we used the kind of examples of sport. We talked about how international sports players will have a coach, will be practicing things away from the classroom. And we didn't do anything else with it, but we were just building up this kind of idea that practice is really, really important. And so then when after Christmas we kind of began, the why behind the practice was really clear. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And the second thing I would say is, I would like to think it's kind of a, um, coming across. I'm a massive fan of uh, practice for teaching and it's something I feel really um, uh, passionately about. And I think it's something I will, um, I would say any school would get massive, massive benefit from. But when I was first introduced to uh, the concept, I didn't like it either. So I can remember 
um, a couple of years ago almost now that I was, we knew that like kind of our practice was going to be something that was going to be a key part of our uh, development of teaching. And I remember going to Oasis South Bank and being taken through the practice model and we had to practice with our peers. And I left that thinking, I just don't like it. Um, and I didn't like it, not but, and, and again, this is kind of as someone who through score, I have like, practiced individual drills for years and years and years and years. But I think we have to get over that barrier in teaching that just because it's something we don't do often or not lots of schools are doing, it's, it is still like something that's really, really important. And I hope over the next few years, it becomes more and more common. Definitely. And it sounds so, so fascinating. And, and I can tell how much you really believe in that. And it's a great link from what you said at the start in terms of your background with, with cricket coaching. And, and you're totally right that there, there's such other other um, walks of life where they do lots of practice and teaching, as you said, is, is, is a performance, is a performance sport, if you, if you like. Whereas we can, and we can constantly get better at it. And the best way to get better at it is through deliberate practice like you say so thanks for sharing that and thanks for sharing what you learned on your journey of that and that that'll be really valuable to, to people listening especially if they're interested in in kind of building that into their own school and their own and building practice and getting practice time and, and using that similar model so thank you for, for unpicking that and, and breaking that down for us so that brings us to, to the end of the interview section dan i've really enjoyed exploring some of these key themes around your teaching and learning framework so thank you very much for, for sharing with me Absolutely. and um, I got all this from, from engaging with you first on Twitter and then reading your blog so could you please share with listeners where they can contact you via Twitter or, or any other means and also direct them to to your blog so they can have a read for themselves yeah so um, Twitter you can find me at danhudson84 and my blog is the same, so danhudson84.wordpress.com. And on the blog, um, I've written a few over the last few months, or taking us, taking people through what our journey's been and going into more depth in terms of how we've done some of the things I've been talking about. Um, and it'd be really great if um, anyone who's sort of uh, listening to this who wants to know any more or has got any uh, questions um, sort of uh, contacted because in the last few weeks since I've shared some more of the online framework we've been doing, I've had loads of people contacting and talking about things that they're doing as well. And I would say that's like the best way to learn. I don't think I've ever learned as much about teaching as I have since I sort of discovered Twitter about three or four years ago. So anybody who's on like a similar journey or who is thinking about this, I would love to be talking about it with you. No, definitely. And, and and I contact you and ask for you to share and the resources that you're sharing are, are just wonderful. And um, I'd encourage anyone to, to get involved and share share back with you what, what they're doing. And if they're using similar approaches, I mean, I know so many schools are are, are building their teaching and learning frameworks around Rosenshine and, and Teach Like a Champion. So it's great to for people to, to share their, their journeys with that. So thank you very much. So we're now going to move on to, to the last section of the, the podcast, Dan, the, the quick fire section. I've got three questions which are kind of quite big in scope, but I want you to give me your short initial responses to them um, from the heart or the head um, and what, what you think. So the first one there is what makes great teaching for you? 
Yeah, I'm going to go with a ratio, which is um, the TUP method of trying to make sure we've basically got 100% of uh, students doing 100% of the work all of the time. Um, contradicts a little bit with what I said about the idea of like, modeling being absolutely crucial on an online lesson, but I think in general, in a, cl in a uh, classroom ratio is absolutely critical. Brilliant, thank you. Um, second question there is, what one thing would you prioritise to bring about great teaching in every classroom? Yeah, I'm going to link back to two things I said previously, and I don't know if that's kind of uh, cheating to say two, but I'm going to say um, the time and space to practice away from the classroom, and then to also link back to something I said, the time and space to be with our uh, subject teams, because that's really important as well. So time, so time and space... Um, away from the classroom is actually, I think, really, really important to put in place all these things that we've just been talking about. Certainly, and it's very much needed for us to, to be able to improve our classroom practice. Final question then, Dan, is if you could change just one thing in education, what would that be? Yeah, I've got a long, long list, I think. Um, I'm going to go... I've got a long, long list. Um, politics, I think. I'm going to go at quite a high level. I think... One of the things that holds us back, certainly within England, is the binary debate between conservative policy, Labour policy, changes in government can sort of like set us back. And the debate on Twitter, I think, at times along those lines can be a real kind of a negative and can make the profession a bit less uh, stable. And my hope is that over time now, like the research-based approach to teaching no matter what government changes are going to happen, that's what stays at the forefront of all educational policy. Certainly, this idea of the best bets that were that are now starting to really emerge in research. They're, Indeed, yeah. they're, they've been well-researched and they're, they're well-researched and best bets for a reason. So we should all be using them to inform our, our own practice within our schools and within our classrooms. So that's a wonderful way to sum up, Dan. Um, thank you so, so much for, for giving up your evening to chat with me, for becoming educated. I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading your blog and connecting with you. Um, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. I'm really, really glad to sort of uh, come on and share the work that we've been doing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educated. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts and you can contact me via Twitter at DNLesley or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educated. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.